Hello, everybody. This is Tommy, and I want to welcome you to another episode of the iZero podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about an article released by CNN called The Justice Department Turns to Counterterrorism Techniques to Fight Mass Shootings. In studio today, I have Brian and Edwin, our smartest people at iZero for policy, and we're going to be talking about this article and breaking it down so that we can better understand it. Uh, so let me go ahead and I'm going to, gentlemen, I'm going to go ahead and start uh, just reading the article here. And, and as we go through, we'll just, we'll just discuss it as, as the points come up. Uh, so we'll go ahead and start. When a string of mass shootings rocked the country this summer, leaving scores dead across California, Texas, and Ohio, the question of how to prevent the next one rose to the top of Attorney General William Barr's list. In the meetings he convened with senior Justice Department officials, Barr discussed possible legal fixes to gun laws and criminal statutes, and at one point turned to another department priority for inspiration. He said, how have we dealt with this in the counterterrorism space, uh, a senior Justice Department official recalled. In response, Justice Department attorneys have looked to a program run in recent years by federal prosecutors in Brooklyn and on uh, an ad hoc basis around the country that centers on bringing unusual partners into law enforcement teams. Now termed Disruption and Early Engagement Programs, or DEEP, the newly launched national initiative aims to encourage prosecutors and investigators to seek help from psychologists and threat assessment experts uh, while cases are still being built, working to identify indicators that could determine a suspect's actual propensity for violence and planning to resolve threats through avenues that don't necessarily include criminal charges like mentorship or rehabilitation. So one of the words that stands out to me in this and that the part that you've read so far, Tommy, is the word ad hoc. And I think that characterizes most security programs in most schools is they are ad hoc. They have good people doing good things. They throw a lot of technology at the problem, but they don't really have a process for integrating all this information that's available to them. They have cameras, they have social media monitoring in some cases, not in, not in all, um, but they don't really have a process or a, a, a set way of bringing all this information together in a way that can be used to prevent the shootings. And I think that's really the challenge is we've got to get rid of the word ad hoc in all of our security programs. If it's ad hoc, you're probably not doing it right. What this brings to mind is one of the pro uh, the programs that iZero was working on in one of the school districts out in California. While we were working on it, the the president's team actually saw what was going on and called our president, uh, our <laughs> the iZero president, out to D.C. to sit down with his team and work through that. And it, it, uh, what we're seeing here with Deep looks a lot like the things that, that Jason discussed with that team out there. I, I agree, Tommy. And the, th the thing I, I think that also needs to be brought up is something that iZero is, is stressing in that while uh, these kinds of incidents are the absolute most tragic, they are statistically the most rare as well. And, uh, and this, this deep uh, approach, uh, or the way this article is written at least, kind of in, implies that um, these folks aren't being brought in until indicators are there uh, of, a, of potential very extreme behavior. Um, I think one of the things that we try to stress is that we agree with this approach of disrupting um, the, the, the chain, but if we can disrupt the things, if we can identify the things and address the kinds of activities and incidents and, and uh, behavior that occurs in workplaces and schools all the time, such as verbal abuse, physical abuse, 
bullying, vandalism, those kinds of low-level, uh, as has been said, low-level activity that can potentially lead to the higher-level activity. If we can address that way earlier, then we can make a better environment overall and then ultimately, hopefully, prevent the tragedies. So to start early and keep it from getting to the point where uh, what DEEP is addressing becomes necessary. We, we, we don't let it get to that Correct. point. Correct. And I agree with, with Brian in, in an integrated uh, effort uh, to use all the tools uh, in a security tool bag uh, to include technology and include information that's already out there, even though that information may not uh, indicate extreme behavior. It may indicate uh, behavior against someone who could then down the road, if being if having been alienated, turn into someone who exhibits that extreme behavior. What stands out to me, second thing, is that this deep, it sounds good. Hey, we want to get ahead of the incident. I get that. Fight the incident before it happens. But their approach indicates to me that they're doing something after the crime has been committed. Why do you bring in a prosecutor and an investigator until a crime has been committed? So where are they actually getting this process started is really what's important. And you don't want to start the process after the crime has already been committed, which that's what prosecutors and investigators do. They investigate after the fact. So we want to bring, from an I-0 perspective, all the information before the crime. What have we found in our studies from a school shooting perspective? There's leakage. The individuals leak their intentions or leak some indication that they're upset about something well before they actually commit something. And that's what you were saying, Edwin, is that these low-level incidents can actually be the precursors to the bigger ones if we just pay attention to it. And an investigator and a, and a, and a prosecutor is not going to pay attention to those little things until it's too late. A psychologist or a school counselor or a threat assessment expert, when are they going to be brought into this process? They need to be there 24-7. And they, that's where I-0 can bring this operation to bear ahead of time before an incident occurs. But one of the things that I, I uh, saw in this, in this article with Deep uh, that I think was missing was where's the action? Who takes action? Yeah, we, we've got all these great predictive tools with the bringing in the counselors, but that counselor shouldn't just be there to predict. That counselor should also be there to react and go out and mitigate the problem. And actually, it's not even the counselor who's there to predict. It's it's the technology that's that that finds the the keywords that we're looking for, um, and those keywords again don't have to only center on violence. They don't only have to center on extreme behavior. They can center on all the, the precursors, as we as we mentioned. And the person who's going to be collating that information is going to be a trained analyst, and then that trained analyst uses the context as best they can to determine what really is worth looking at. And then that information that, it, that that analyst deems worthy of further investigation is going to be given to a panel or a security working group that we at iZero will help the organization form from their in-house people. And that working group should inherently be comprised of people with the experience, the training, the discretion to make the decisions that will not only keep the organization safe, but get the, the, the people of interest, the people of concern, the appropriate help that they need, be it a counselor, be it an administrator, uh, maybe even occasion being in a law enforcement uh, official, but, but using the context of each potential incident or each concerning incident to determine what the appropriate action is.
I mean, let's let's say let's take an example. Let's take the kid that goes into the, the student counselor and says, you know, I really feel like killing myself today, or I really feel like hurting myself. Doesn't maybe trigger that suicide response, but maybe he goes in and says, I I really feel like something bad is going to happen today. What does that counselor do with that information? Okay, they might counsel the the kid, talk him off the ledge, so to speak, uh, make him say, okay, I'm not going to do this. But who's now running that process? to go look and see if there's other things going on in his life that may evolve into a greater or a bigger concern. Who's taking that initiative? Is it the counselor? Are they going to go scour his social media? Are they going to call his parents and see how he's doing? Maybe. Are they going to check his grades and see if maybe he's fallen down somewhere? Are they going to look and see if he's had fights, disciplinary actions, um, health, home issues? Who's going to run that trap line, if you will, to see what else is going on in that kid's life? Probably nobody. So yeah. So the uh, this is going back to the the analyst where all of that information can be brought together and be analyzed and and should action be needed, then the appropriate person can be sent out to talk to that kid or or employee or or whatever to follow up on what was discovered by that counselor and prevent it from be- becoming something much larger. You know, you can't script exactly how to react to every single incident or every single piece of information, but what you can script is a set or some parameters to go out and, and look at. And that's what we do as I zeros. We look at, you know, what is common in all these incidents? What questions are common that need to be asked? You know, a, a good counselor will do a lot of good things. A good principal will do a lot of good things. A good security or SRO will do a lot of good things, but they do everything that's necessary. That's where the ad hoc word needs to be taken out of our nomenclature. It needs to be a standardized process so that when you get this trigger event, you go through this process and you gather all the right information every time and get ahead, just like Deep is saying that they need to do to bring all this stuff together to head off this propensity for violence. Well, going, going on uh, in the article here, uh, Barr explained the concept in a memo to federal law enforcement leaders last month, quote-unquote, newly developed tactics based on the needs of our frontline operators have expanded the all-tools approach adopted by our joint, task, uh, joint terrorist task forces to include the use of clinical psychologists, threat assessment professionals, intervention teams, and community groups when such resources are helpful to detect, understand, and mitigate the risk. We need to apply the same type of forward-leaning, our learning and thoughtful strategies more broadly to help triage threats and prevent violence whenever we detect reliable indicators of criminal activity or potential danger to the public. Now, two words jump out at me there. One is indicators, which is something that we deal in big, uh, quite a bit. And the other one is is triage. That that's That's an interesting term to talk about determining what needs to be addressed immediately and what can be prioritized for later on. What do you guys think of, of that as far as I-Zero's processes and, and, and what uh, the company brings to the table? Well, I think what we talked about a second ago regarding the, the analyst is part of that triage process for sure. And, and I would take the words from that article and kind of back them up a bit uh, or back them up to the left and say, we need not wait till we have indicators of criminal activity. Uh, if we have indicators that point to concerning activity, even though it may not be criminal from a law standpoint, if it's if it's concerning in that it 
is affecting the safety and security of someone at the organization, be it a school, an office, wherever, then it's worth looking at. And and the triage portion, I think, comes from the the training that an, that an analyst has in how to look at context, how to prioritize events, and then how to bend those events together to, to put together packets that the working group or whatever organization uh, puts together comes up with to as their priority scheme. Again, when a doctor triages something, a doctor is trained to do it in a specific way every time. It goes back to the ad hoc word is who's doing what? How does, re, how does preventing the threat get done by a, a bunch of good people who aren't trained to do it? You've got teachers, you've got principals, you've got, okay, SROs. So where do we get this group of people or this person who runs this triage process. That's where the CSOC comes in. That's where the operations center comes in to be that focal point for all that stuff that needs to get done. Because you can't just design, say, we're going to do a better triage, go and expect the schools to just start doing it without a process, without a policy, and without somebody in charge of taking that responsibility. On that, one of the great things is that there is precedence, and they're talking about the Joint Terrorism Task Forces, but we're talking the fusion centers that law enforcement, both, well, from the federal level all the way down to the city level, are using. And, you know, we've we've got so many people that are experienced in that fusion center concept, be it from law enforcement, be it from the military. A lot of those concepts go right back to, like you gentlemen, working uh, over at the big military centers for ensuring that the country stays safe. You know, all of those processes fall right into the fusion center concept. Uh, Going back to the article, the Justice Department did not immediately provide examples of successful uses of the program uh, in its local iteration, citing sensitivities around uncharged cases, and it is unclear to what extent the program will be funded. Well, also, Tommy, I think it's important to note that the the fusion centers are certainly part of the answer. The other part of the answer that I feel iZero is trying to stress is that we want to kind of turn the mindset on its head and create a culture within an organization, whether it be a school or a commercial organization, of safety and security. And that means that everyone's mindset has to focus somewhat more than they have been on safety and security. Be aware. And I think that the incidents across the country, as tragic as they are, are helping that effort in that something else has to be done. Something different has to be done because the status quo clearly isn't working. Um, So we have that on our side, I believe. And I think an example of that uh, was the, the coach that disarmed the the young man in Oregon you know he's not a counselor necessarily I mean every teacher is you know can can be considered a counselor to some degree but he's a coach happened to be a security guy as well but he wasn't wearing a security guy hat at the time uh, I don't believe but the bottom line is he was aware he saw something that didn't look exactly right he didn't know the young man was armed but figured that out pretty quickly and had he not intervened, who knows what may have happened. So the what I'm trying to get at is that the changing the mindset and having an awareness uh, and a mindset of safety and security concurrent with every other thing that's going on is part of the solution. Well, and in building that uh, 
that security culture, that security mindset, something that Brian and I were talking about earlier, um, was establishing policy to define all of that. And a lot of times it seems like that's what's missing from these institutions, the schools, the businesses. They'll come up with a basic security plan, but it really won't address getting out there and establishing a security mindset. It'll say, put cameras here. It'll say, put a security guard over there. Make sure he has a gun. None of that comes together to bring everybody into that culture. And so you get in there, you talk about policy, and you develop a policy that helps develop that culture that everybody can follow, and and that puts you ahead of the game. How many schools do you think do drills or exercises with their staff to prevent things, to, to drop a scenario on a table like we talked about where they just drop an inject, hey, student X just said this, go, how do we react to it? How do we communicate? How do we talk? How do we address it? And then once we're done addressing it, do we sit there and do, do, they, do they tabletop scenarios that are preventative in nature? Or do they always tabletop a reactive scenario? They're always reacting. Without a process in place to prevent and practice preventing, they're never going to have a culture where they see information and it, and it triggers a, a response that prevents it from escalating. So where's the reactive training or the prevention training? There isn't any. That example of, of the, the school coach is great on both sides of that. One, he, he um, knew enough to get ahead of the game, but two, really he was at the point where he was reacting to what was going to be an active shooter event. It had already gotten to that point. So that, that illustrates both points right in one example right there. That's a great scenario to train your teachers, to train your, your staff. Okay, it's, you know, your PLC day, your non-student day, and you've got some time to do security training. Teacher X, you just saw little Johnny walk into the bathroom with a large black bag. What do you do? They've never thought through that, I guarantee you. And so how can you prevent if you haven't thought through what you need to prevent? Look at Parkland. I was actually just getting ready to use Parkland as an example. Um, They actually had three teachers that saw Cruz, Nicholas Cruz, as he was going through with a gun, and... They obviously didn't know what to do because two of the people that saw him carrying it turned around and walked away. Exactly. So they, they and I'm I'm sure that had they had the proper training and the proper mindset and the proper culture for preventing that, they would have reacted differently. I guarantee you, I'll have a cell phone. Another benefit to training and and thinking about these things before they happen is that it helps a reaction not escalate into an overreaction or the wrong reaction or an inaction, which was in case, the case in a couple of cases in Parkland. But this coach in, in Oregon could have easily overreacted and thrown the kid down or, or something else that arguably could have been appropriate, but it appears that he didn't overreact. He reacted and diffused the situation appropriately. Perhaps he had thought of that ahead of time. I don't know. But certainly training in that respect can do nothing but arm people with mental preparation for similar scenarios. I think you're exactly right. People are afraid to act out of fear of an overreaction. Talking about not being an overreaction, that the example with the coach, he diffuses the situation, talks to the kid, ends it with a heartfelt hug where the kid is, I mean, he's grabbing onto him and really hugging him and really giving him the emotion. That is a powerful, powerful diffusion Right there. If he'd grabbed that kid, threw him on the ground and held him down in place by putting a knee in his back or something, um, you know, that that may not have probably would not have 
taken away a lot of the anger and a lot of the problem and a lot of the the emotion that led up to that. But by talking to the kid and hugging him at the end and and showing him that he really cared, I imagine that must have done wonders for that kid's psyche to eliminate or help mitigate what was the the his internal struggles and problems. And that's kind of the 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 crux of what I zero is trying to do well ahead of the child coming to school with the weapon is to identify the people who need help not just the people who are the victims but the people who are who are victimizing uh, who are who are uh, being bullies who are committing acts of vandalism or whatever acting out to get the attention and and as any parent knows a child is going to act out one way or another. Good, you know, attention is attention to a child in certain respects in, a, in an emotional state, whether it's negative or positive. And uh, we need to uh, address those acts and address them appropriately. Everything doesn't need to be come, to, you know, have a, have a hammer. You know, just it, just because you know, that's all you have is you don't see ever have to see everything as a nail. We 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 want to give these organizations an array of tools and procedures so that they can react appropriately and in the right context. I'd be curious if they did the forensics on that, the teacher incident, you know, where he stopped that kid, what indicators did he leak before he walked into that school with a shoot with a shotgun? We may never know because it didn't end up in tragedy. And that's where Again, your process has to continue beyond the non-incident and look and see what they could have seen before he walked in there with a shotgun and see if there's things. And that's where I-Zero comes in is we put together that infrastructure and that system and that process to be watching for those indicators. We may never know, but I'll bet you money there was plenty of social media leakage or plenty of discussion with his friends that indicated that this kid was going over the edge. And had there been a channel for all that information, it could have maybe been prevented even before he even walked on campus. Crying out loud, look at Nicholas Cruz over in Parkland and mm-hmm. all the indicators that he put out before he went in, went on his shooting spree. Well, and then, and then another thing about the indicators is that, and, and this kind of goes to shifting the mindset again, is that if the mindset is shifted such that reporting of indicators will be acted on in some way, at least acknowledged and addressed in some way other than being ignored, then more people will be willing to report indicators, whether they be verbal or or any other way. People, Plenty of people reported the indicators of, of Parkland, plenty, but they were ignored. And the, the ignoring of those indicators went right up to when the, the, the kid who passed uh, Cruz in the hallway or in in the stairwell, and Cruz says, "I like you. Get out of here." While he's moving up the uh, moving up the stairwell with his with his AR fifteen, kid runs tells what football coach, and football coach pretty much did nothing with the information. So I, yeah, um, a lot of ignored information, a lot of ignored indicators that could have been acted on on that one. But that goes back to what are your processes? What what was the teacher trained to do with that information, if anything? Was there a process that says if you have any kind of information, you will trigger the lockdown, you will trigger a 911 call, you will trigger – how does that information get – you know, where's the training? Yeah, they, they, they apparently had some process or some, some, some mechanism in place. I think it was called red flag, raise a red flag. Red or code red. Code they had, red. They had a code yeah. red, but, yeah. the, but the, the, 
the leadership of the school had said that only certain people, only one person actually mm-hmm. could call a code red at the school. But yeah. um, fortunately, unfortunately for themselves, but fortunately uh, there were a couple of people who ignored that and, and went after crews anyway. And they unfortunately paid with their lives. But in uh, and, and, and a couple of the, the, the adults there at the school. And that's, you know, and that goes, but every, every culture, every business, every, I won't say every, but most cultures that are safety oriented and it have a, what they call a stop work policy. And most places say anyone can call a timeout, a safety timeout or a stop work, or anyone should be able to trigger that safety pause. It's like on a football field, if somebody gets injured, everybody takes a knee, you know, anyone can call it a timeout. And so, but, but again, that goes back to process and what do you do with the information and, and how do you teach your people to handle the information? It's not, you know, you can have the greatest terrorist plan that this article outlines, but if you haven't trained your people how to execute or how to, how to use the information, it's not going to matter. Going back to the article here. In his memo, Barr announced that a training conference on the method will take place later this year in Washington, D.C. to share best practices and invited law enforcement divisions from across the country to, quote unquote, send your best and brightest to participate in this important event. Under this program, senior official said threat assessment professionals will give insight into the complicated field of the prediction of violent, abhorrent human behavior and help uh, investigators focus on cases where certain indicators like specific speech patterns and access to weapons show that an individual is closer to violence. Uh, Again, that sounds a lot like getting into it too late with everything we've been talking about with with uh, addressing the the heck it could be feelings of isolation or or like we talked about bullying or whatever that that's where it starts not once we start looking at uh, the prediction of violent abhorrent behavior uh, yeah it, it shouldn't even get to that point there will always be those holes but but uh, you got to stop it before that the program is one of the small number of solutions put forward by the Trump administration in the wake of the deadly sprees. The FBI has said it set up a domestic terrorism and hate crime fusion cell uh, in June to help thwart future attacks. And the Justice Department sent a package of proposed gun legislation, including a measure that would move to speed the use of the death penalty in mass murder cases to the White House in September. But the but efforts to disrupt the shooting trend have mostly stalled and the White House missed scheduled rollout of plans as they pivoted to combat the impeachment inquiry in the House of Representatives. So, uh, so that's a lot of politics. Yeah, that really is a lot of politics. And, and so let me ask you this. If a kid is planning on shooting up a school and then shooting himself, why does he care about escalation of the death penalty, acceleration death penalty? Is he going to care? So there's a lot of pol- – there's obviously some political grandstanding in this article, but it doesn't de- depreciate the fact that – that predictive analysis needs to be done ahead of every incident. Even with limited details, the new DOJ model is drawing comparisons to current violent extremism or CVE programs that grew in popularity as the Obama administration faced a scourge of jihadi-linked terrorism that failed to gain traction in certain areas where Muslim groups and nonprofits were distrustful of teaming with the government. Applying similar methods uh, to individuals influenced by other beliefs like anti-Semitic or white supremacist ideologies relies on the same misconception, they call it misconception, that, quote unquote, there are some kind of visible signals that somebody sends off when they're thinking about committing mass shooting. 
said Faiza Patel, co-director of the Liberty and National Security Program at the Brennan Center for Justice, an organization that has studied CVE programs. That right there, the, the calling the, uh, the visible signals a misconception, uh, I, apparently whoever this person is didn't look at Parkland, didn't look at, look at Harrison Klebold for Columbine, didn't look at all of the indicators that were there beforehand before those shootings occurred. And the funny thing is, looking at the uh, Liberty and National Security Program at the Brennan Center for Justice, an organization that has studied CV programs, for with them saying that uh, there are no visible indicators, uh, that, that visible indicators are a misconception, uh, it's interesting because there is another article from USA Today, attackers in almost all school shootings made prior threats, Secret Service says. Uh, and the uh, this this article goes on to talk about, well— Indicators. So um, for them to talk about there being no indicators seems to be a very uh, ignorant statement. Well, um, it's interesting. What, what, what she actually says was that there's no validated scientific basis for suggesting that behavioral threat assessments are going to be helpful in identifying the next mass shooter. Um, I would disagree with that. I would think that you may not be able to identify one particular shooter with one threat assessment. However, if you have a chain of assessments that center around a person, then that's building a pretty strong case that that person needs to be looked at a little more closely by the types of people who are experts at not only looking at the behavior, but hopefully countering the behavior with the right kind of uh, attention. From what you're saying, it almost sounds like Fias Patel here is narrowing the scope of what these CVE could be doing in order to fit her narrative. She is pushing aside these other functions, possibilities, structures within these organizations that could actually be brought together to, as a whole, predict what could be a very violent event. Yeah, I don't know how she can even make that statement when every just about every recent shooting there have been news reports about and manifestos written online and 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 plenty of things posted on facebooks and and instagrams and and the like social media prior to a shooting and that, that they found it almost immediately after the shooting well it's, it seems that the so, it, it seems that the article is 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 splitting hairs and they're using verbiage such as validated scientific basis to further their narrative yeah, it may not be validated scientific basis, but there may but be the statistical studies. There. Absolutely, there's something out there that says that there's lots of leakage prior to a sh- prior to an incident. I can't say what her ob- objective is. I think there's probably something behind there, but but that's neither here nor there. The fact of the matter is, there is leakage. There is indicators and warning prior to an event, and uh, we can do something about it. So, gentlemen, that pretty much wraps up the article. So I'd like to go ahead and open this up for any further comments you have on what we talked about today. Well, let me just start off by saying that safety is a culture. And and a culture is something that everybody has to be a part of and everybody has to be involved in. And it the article may, may be looking to start a new process or bring in an outside entity to, to provide some expertise but the reality is, no matter what you do with information, if the culture doesn't know how to handle that information, you're not going to prevent school shootings. So we've got to think of a way to build a culture within the school, within the administration and the faculty and the teachers, 
so that everybody is thinking about safety. It's education first, but it needs to be safety always. And so, so teach your kids, spend your time focusing on education, but always have in the back of your mind, what should I be thinking about for safety today? I, you know, that goes to um, um, safety isn't just preventing an active shooter. Safety is those steps that you take every day to make sure that you get home safe for the night and your head goes to the pillow and you get up the next morning for the next day. Uh, so it, it's everything. It's, it's everything that you do. It's everything that you see. It's everything that you look at. And it's really not a revolution in your life. It's just little things that you can do to get out there uh, and pay attention and uh, prevent anything else from hurting you or those that you love. Well, and to, to piggyback on that, Brian will remember this from his time in the Navy as well. Um, when we were both in the Navy, a saying, whether it was on ship or in an aircraft squadron, everybody's a safety officer. And... Uh, that's exactly correct, and, and it is a mindset. It's, it's a culture, and it's a culture that everybody has to buy into because there physically are not enough people uh, who are identified as the security people or the counselors or whatnot to cover everybody in an organization, in a school, in an office, wherever the, 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 the climate is, wherever the, the situation is. And so if, if we build a culture of safety and security and everyone is part of that culture and everyone buys into that culture, then that significantly increases the likelihood that issues will be addressed earlier and tragedies will be avoided. All right, gentlemen, um, anything else for the, for the listeners out there? Go Navy. Go Navy. (laughs) All right. Yeah. Um, everybody, obviously the, both these gentlemen are, uh, Navy uh, aviators. So anyways, thank you everybody for listening to our podcast here at iZero. And while you're out there, make sure that as we were talking about, pay attention to those little things that you can do to keep yourself and, and those around you safe and, and you know keep your head on a swivel and you'll be just fine. So again, this is Tommy signing off and have a great day. <laughs>